0: Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we pause just a moment in a moment that you have given us, in a day that you have given us with people in the friendship and fellowship of this church that you have given to us. We all belong to you. We all want to know you and follow you. We all want to learn more about you. We all want you to work in us to make us more like you meant us to be from the beginning. We all want to trust that you are doing that, and we all sometimes resist. But we know that you forgive us, and we know that you're always there ready to continue to teach and guide. We know that in the voices of those who gather in the voices that speak from the distant past out of the pages of Scripture, we know that you are speaking. So speak to us now. Speak to us in clear and unmistakable ways with the truth that you would have us learn today. We ask these things because of Jesus' love and his sacrifice for us. We ask these things because we're convinced that you love us and that you are with us now in jesus we pray amen do you like exodus so far okay good answer (laughs) good answer it's really quite a ride um after i finished doing the notes for uh today it it occurred to me we probably should have split this section of uh exodus into at least three different studies, but then we don't we don't have four years to study Exodus. So we'll come back to it at any rate. Um, you've gotten a good start in Exodus, understanding the situation of the family of Abraham that was once at the top of Egyptian society in some sense, uh, and now is at the bottom of Egyptian society, and how they are suffering mightily And now we're going to go into the story of what God is planning to do about that. This section of Exodus is uh, very well known because it's so pivotal in the whole story, because it is just so rich. It's like 100% packed with calories (laughs) of of truth and meaning and so many different layers and so many important things to talk about. Uh, As we move into it, though, It might help us for just a second to think about uh, all the different times in Scripture when God appears in someone's life and calls them to be engaged in ministry, to be engaged in something that God specifically wants done. This section of Moses is called a call narrative, a call story. And the story itself follows a fairly typical pattern. Isn't that interesting that over the centuries when God shows up in someone's life, the style of conversation and the way a conversation flows tends to be the same? We actually all tend to do that. We tend to use the same words, the same phrases, tell the same stories. Uh, After a period, if you know somebody for a long time, you know exactly what they're going to say before they say it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. And so in a way, to me, it's reassuring that when God shows up to visit with Moses, it's a very similar conversation as to when God showed up to tell Gideon he had some work to do. Uh, or or Jeremiah, or, or anyone else. And so let's look at that pattern of conversation for a moment, because it is very telling about who God is and who we are. So what happens, number one, is that God shows up. We call that a theophany. That word is printed in your notes so that you can learn it, and use it in a conversation later this week to impress people with your theological knowledge. Let me warn you, though, that there's a danger. As soon as they think you know something, they'll start asking you more questions, and then eventually your ignorance will be revealed. I have lived, I have lived with this threat for about 45 years now, <laughs> but that's okay. A theophany, God shows up. Now, that might seem like old hat to us, and in a sense it, it should because Christians believe that, right? God shows up. But in Moses' day, it was uh, understood, it was believed that there were many gods and that those gods only occasionally paid attention to human beings. We were so far below them. Sometimes the gods would show up, so that they could play with us and toy with us and manipulate us like so many toy soldiers and do whatever they wanted to with us. Many people believed, people still believe, frankly, that God never shows up, that God is out there doing his thing and he doesn't really care about us. And so the simple fact that God shows up is a huge statement about who God is, okay? So that's called a theophany. God shows up and then... There is what's called an introductory word. God says, hi. (laughs) Uh, Right? In this case, we'll read the text in a minute. God says, Moses, Moses. Ooh, God has shown up, and God knows Moses' name, okay? And then there's what's called a divine commission. God has something for Moses to do, okay? Okay? Now, God shows up all throughout the scriptures with news about what he wants us to do. Isn't that interesting? A lot of people want to hear from God about what God is going to do for us. When God shows up, it's usually to say, here's what you're going to do for me. It's interesting, okay? Usually, when God says to someone in the stories of Scripture, I have this job for you to do, the first thing the person says is no. It's true. In so many words, no. Now, you know some of the other stories of Scripture when God calls and and says, I have a job for you, right? Right? I think there's one person above all in the scriptures who stands out as the the best and classic example of human beings saying no to God. You know who I'm thinking about? Jonah. Jonah, yes, absolutely. Jonah said no, and then God sent him on a fishing trip, and the rest of that is, is history, right? But even though the human being says no... God reassures. That's the next thing that happens in the conversation. God reassures and says, I know you said no, but but let's think about this a little bit more, right? And the stories that were told, even in the story of Jonah saying no, eventually the stories that we hear about that are in scriptures are when people eventually say yes, it makes us wonder, doesn't it, how many times God showed up to somebody and said, here's a job for you to do, and they simply said no and always said no. They didn't get into the book, did they? Finally, there's a sign offered. God will offer a sign of his presence, of the reality of his job that he has for us to do, and of uh, a sign that will, that will make us more willing to commit to do that job. Okay? So that outline is there in your notes. It's important for us to look at as we study this story about God and his conversation with with Moses. Now, God gives Moses a particular job uh, to speak his word and to do something for him. And in the scriptures, this is really the first time that God shows up and says, you're going to be my spokesperson and go do something on my behalf. Now, we've already read in Genesis how God showed up in Abraham's life, Isaac's life, all of their lives, even, even in Noah's life, right? But their job was just to live life, so to speak. Noah's job was to build the boat. Noah's job wasn't to speak for God. Here, Moses is going to speak on behalf of God, God's Word. This is the first time it happens in the Scripture. In the conversation that ensues, Moses and God have a real conversation, right? Part of my work in in ministry is giving people opportunities to serve the Lord, and people sometimes say no, sometimes they say yes, but there's always a dialogue involved with that. It's yes, but, or yes, and, or no, later, or no, whatever, Moses has a real conversation with God, and we're going to see how that plays itself out. So, let's read this first six verses of chapter three together. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked... And the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground he said further i am the god of your father the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob and moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at god okay let's take this apart for a few moments i'm sure there are Aspects of this that, that leap out at you, that, that raise questions or that are very familiar to you or that maybe get you excited uh, or, or maybe just asking more questions. Moses, of course, has left Egypt. He has tried to escape from the terrible life that he had there, from the, the threat of being taken by the Egyptians and executed because he killed an Egyptian. He's now living, in a sense, quietly out in the countryside, in in some sense, in a self-imposed exile, if you will. And he's out in the wilderness. That's what Horeb means, actually. That name means the mountain of the wilderness, Uh, looking after not his own sheep, but his father-in-law's sheep, right? Moses is not in charge of anything. He's only responsible for a handful of sheep. That's all that's going on. And there is where God chooses to show up in Moses' life. Most of the time in the scriptures, when God shows up in such a specific way, it's not in a temple, it's not in a place of worship, it's not when somebody is involved in some kind of religious activity, so to speak. It's We would think of it as out of the blue, in the middle of nowhere. That may be where God can actually get our attention, Right? I hope God gets our attention in in worship, right, in church, so to speak. But God takes that moment, and that's often the way uh, that that works. Now, God appears as a flame in a bush that is burning, but it's not burning, right? We call this the story of the burning bush, don't we? That's actually wrong. The bush is not burning. I don't know what we would call the story. The story of the not burning, burning bush. I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> but when you read it, Moses turns aside, a burning bush per se might not be all that remarkable to Moses, right? There's forest fires and that sort of thing. but The bush appears to be burning, but it's not burning. And so God gets Moses' attention that way. God appears in flame or as flame, but God is not flame. What are some of the other ways that God appears in scriptures? You know them. Yeah, the pillar of fire by by night and the pillar of cloud by day leading the Hebrew people after they've gone through the Red Sea, right? Sometimes God appears as an angel, sometimes a voice, sometimes a person who then later it's realized that that it's actually God. God appears in lots of different ways. God uses the things of nature, the things of our world that he created in order to speak to us, right? In order to speak to us. God does not appear as some sort of sci-fi weird creature, right? Uh, Sci-fi does that all the time, And, and, and even religious imagination tries to do that all the time but that's normally not how god appears so moses is curious and god takes advantage of moses's curiosity in order to to have a visit with moses god uses what moses sees so that he can say something to moses right now moses is afraid to look at god he knows that something is going on here right I have the sense that when Moses turned aside and that when the voice started, that it took Moses a while to realize who he was speaking with and actually to accept who he was speaking with, right? He at least knows enough to know that there's something bigger than he is, (laughs) something other than, than who he is that is speaking to him, right? And God says... You know, okay, Moses, Moses, Moses says, here I am. Moses answers that initial answer, right? It's not like the the phone rings and you don't recognize the number and you don't pick it up. I sort of wonder how many times God had appeared as flame in a not burning, burning bush to someone else, and they didn't answer. Have you wondered about that? That could have happened. But nothing happened as a result, so we don't hear the story. Who knows? Who knows? Moses says, here I am. Moses starts to approach God. God says, don't come any closer. Remove the sandals from your feet. You're on holy ground. There's something special going on here. There's something special going on here. There are some traditions. Maybe you grew up in a household where where you always took your shoes off as you went in the house to help preserve the floor, right? Right? But there are many traditions where you take your shoes off when you're going into a holy place. In the Islamic tradition, you go into a mosque. That's what you do. You take your shoes off, and you hope that you remember to wear good socks that day. (laughs) At any rate, Moses is in a holy place, in a holy situation. God has chosen to have an encounter with Moses. We ask God all the time, God, please show up, right? That's okay. God asks us to do that. God says, that's fine. Ask me to be here. God, though, has the option of deciding to show up when you're not paying attention. Has that ever happened to you? Right? God can show up when you're... God gets to do what God wants to do. And so, God has a plan for Moses. We call this the divine initiative. Remember, we've always said that the Bible is a story... Number one, about God. The Bible's a story of what God does. What God has done, is doing, will do. We get involved in the story. God God made us to be involved in the story. God invites us to be involved in the story. Now, all of that seems pretty normal to all of us because we've been hearing this for years and years and years, but it's a radical idea in Moses' time. And it's frankly a radical idea in our time for most people, right? In Moses' time, going back to the beliefs about all the different gods, people were just kind of living their miserable little lives and the gods were doing their thing and they didn't care anything about us. But this idea that God's going to involve us in his story, in his work, was a new idea then. It's not a new idea now, but it's a new idea that most people today, even though they've heard it, don't accept it, right? How many of you, now uh, this is preaching to the choir, but how many of you uh, wake up thinking about your day as I'm going to go through the motions and the actions of my day today as part of what God is doing. Do you think that way? I hope you do. I hope you do. But, but most of us have a hard time involving God in what we're doing because we don't realize that God is doing something with us. Right? Jesus lived that way. Jesus lived in such a way that everything that he was doing, he was doing in light of his relationship with God, with God right there, by his side, so to speak. Now we say, well, that was easy for Jesus because he was divine, right? Well, but Jesus also was human. This human side would make it very hard. We tend to go about the business of our lives as if God isn't there. But God is there. God cares. God involves us in what he's doing and wants to be involved in what we're doing. God wants to direct what we're doing. God wants to fill what we are doing. That presents all kinds of opportunities to us. So... Let's continue reading the story, verses 7 through 12. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. God says, I have observed the misery of my people. There are lots of questions we could ask of God at this point. What has taken you so long? Right? We don't really know how long the Hebrew people were enslaved. We're told it's 300, maybe 400 years. Some people suggest that, it was only recently in history at, at this point when God's talking to Moses that the Hebrews had actually fallen into slavery, that they, they had grown so strong in number that, that the, the Pharaohs had enslaved them, that hadn't been enslaved very long. Other people say, no, it had been for a very long time. We don't know. All we know is that God had apparently allowed the, the enslavement to go on, right? Why did God do that in the first place? There are questions of suffering involved here. The people are suffering. And we we can't spend the time to talk about that, that huge theological question of why God allows suffering, what happens in our suffering, why God sometimes seems not to get involved as quickly as we want him to. Have you ever asked that question of God? God, this needs fixed now. Now, now, now. We'll come to that question more often as we go through the story of Exodus, but it's a question that arises right here, right now. What we do know is that God does in his own timing, God's timing, divine timing, God pays attention, and God claims his people. Now, some people would say that the the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites are not God's people, that God's people are the Israelites. But that's not what this story says, right? This story says that God is paying attention to the Israelites who are his people. It doesn't say the other people are not his people. God is going to do something special, though, through these Israelite people. So let's not create too big a division between the peoples here. The people who are being oppressed at this point in time are the Israelites, and so God pays special and particular attention to them. Okay? God says to Moses, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people out. I will send you to Pharaoh. What would would be going on in Moses' mind in his heart at this point when God says that? Why me? No way, no way, no way in God's green earth is is a phrase that I like to use sometimes. No way in God's green earth, right? Moses says to Pharaoh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? Why do you think Moses said that? There are lots of motivations for that. Moses stuttered. Yes. Really, you want me to be your spokesperson? I can't even get through a whole sentence without stuttering. Okay, why else would Moses ask that question? He was a marked man, exactly. Why else? Maybe he's just afraid. He doesn't want to go back where where, where there's, you know, wanted posters all over the place. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, think about that. Moses is going to go and say, let the people go. And Moses is going to say to the Israelites, God's telling us we're going to go. And they would say, who are you, Moses, to say that? (laughs) Right? You're just Moses. You're just Moses. Why would God choose Moses, though? He marked him in the very beginning. Look Look at what God gave to Moses that only Moses had. Moses had been raised in the Pharaoh's household. He knew those people, and they knew him. Right? That can cut both ways, but, but that can be a very positive thing. Moses, even though he stuttered, had demonstrated something inside of him that would not tolerate injustice and that would stand up for the little guy. Right? Moses had what we would call, I love this word, chutzpah. <laughs> right? Say that with me. You got to get it. It starts way down here. Chutzpah, right? Right? Moses had run away, but God had made Moses in such a way, in terms of his character, his personality, and then also the experience of his life, so that he was suited for this task. Even though, we're going to learn later on, Moses couldn't do it by himself. Right? Right? He had to have people speak for him. He had to assemble lots of people around him, but that's that's the God, the job that that Moses uh, the, the job that God has for Moses. Now, Moses resists, though. Moses resists. Think about this. Who are you to say no to God? But we do, don't we? Right? Right? I love, I've, I've had these conversations with some of you in this room before. I love when I'm asking somebody to do something in the church, I, I love calling people up and saying, Hi, God has a plan for your life, and I'm going to tell you what it is. <laughs> Often, I, this just happens, right? Some of you are in this room, and you have said these words to me. You've said, Jack, if I ask them, they won't do it, but if the senior pastor asks them, they will do it. Okay, but I don't have the power of God, and God doesn't use his power in such a way that overpowers Moses. Here's a question: Could Moses have said to God, Nope, and never gone back to Pharaoh? Could Moses have done that? Yes, yes. You know, it leads me to think maybe there were other shepherds up on the mountain for the last couple hundred years, and God showed up in the burning bush and said to them, Go do this. And they said, Nope. Period. That was their final answer. Does God need Moses to do his work? No. God can use anybody. God can use anybody, Right? How many of you heard Mark Mueller's sermon a couple weeks ago uh, talking about choosing the disciples, right? These impetuous, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, some of them were thieves. Um, they weren't very mature. You look at all the disciples, they were just, you know, not the, the best people. What's that? Ordinary. Ordinary is a great word. Yes, ordinary. God chooses to use us to be involved in his work, to do his work for him. I wonder if Moses had said no, how much longer God would have waited or what God would have done, right? God always uses very ordinary people. And that's really good news for all of us. Yes, here's the good news for your life today. You are ordinary. Yes. If you want to come here to have your self-esteem built up, it ain't going to happen. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It will happen in the right way. God loves you. You're amazing and you're ordinary. (laughs) We can talk about that further too, right? God has a plan for Moses. Now, towards the end of this conversation, um, God says, you know, you're going to release the people. I'm going to release the people through you. Um, There are a lot of folks that say that you should never talk about religion and politics and that religion and politics should never mix. And um, that's an interesting statement because it's clearly not biblical. Uh, How political can you get for God to say to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him that the entire economic system that he has built on the backs of the Hebrews is wrong and I'm taking them out of there. You think that's not political? That's as political as it can get. Now, we can talk about various political stances, candidates, parties, issues till the cows come home and disagree about those things or have different ideas about those things. That's all fine, that's all well and good. And we should do that. We live in a country where we get to do that for the most part. I hope it continues. I'm not sure that it will. But it's very clear that God has a particular political agenda. You can read that agenda. God is not happy with slavery. God is not happy with injustice. God is not happy with people starving. God is not happy with a lot of things. That's pretty clear. How we get there... is a a different question, I get that. But it's very clear that God has a political agenda, right, from the get-go. That's the foundational story, by the way, of God with the Hebrew people, is a story that has real-life, real-time political consequences. Now, something else here that we maybe tend to gloss over a little bit and forget about, at the end of this piece of the conversation, uh, what, what has Moses said? Moses has said, you know, who am I that I should go, right? And God says, I will be with you, and this will be the sign that I give you. All right, this will be the sign that I give you. When it's all over with, you're going to come back to this mountain and worship me. Now, don't you think Moses was asking for a sign before he went down the mountain? Right? God says, I'm going to give you a sign. After you go do what I said and you come back up the mountain. What does Moses have to do with that sign? Right? He has to accept it for what it is. I mean, he doesn't have to, but he does. God gives us tasks to do. Every single one of us. Maybe not as dramatic as leading people out of slavery but God gives every single one of us things to do, and we choose whether or not we go do them. But when we go do them, the only proof that we have that it's going to happen ultimately boils down to our faith in what God has said. Then we have to go do it. God says, after you do it, you're going to worship me. I'm going to confirm that it was me. Moses didn't know. Moses knew only because of his faith. Moses knew only because he decided to trust God that he could go do this incredible thing and not just immediately get thrown in the slammer and then executed, Or go and be laughed out of Egypt by all the Hebrew people. Or try to do all this stuff and then all drown in the Red Sea. Moses didn't know that it was going to go that way, that it was going to work. He only trusted that God said it would work, and when it did, God said, then you're going to come back to the mountain and worship me. It's going to end up okay at the end, and that's when you're going to really, really know. Does that make sense to you? I I think that's kind of the nature of God's call and, and our faith in God, really, is we know what we're supposed to do. We think we know what we're supposed to do. We try it. Sometimes it doesn't work, or sometimes it doesn't work and something else worked that we didn't know was supposed to work that was more important than the first thing that we thought was supposed to work. What I said just made sense, Sarah. I'm sure it did. <laughs> right? Isn't that the way of it with us and God? See, this is all such human stuff. It happens in your life. You don't have to look at Moses and say, oh, Moses great big, you know, figure of history and the Bible and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm sure he's got one of the biggest mansions in heaven and stuff. No, this is the way God works with all people. This is the way God works in, in our lives. Absolutely fascinating. Let's keep on going so we can get finished. Answer some questions, maybe. Verse 13 to 22. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, thus you shall say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever and this is my title for all generations. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have given heed to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. I declare that I will bring you up out of the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and all the other a land flowing with milk and honey. They will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us now go a three days' journey into the wilderness, so that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. I know, however, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders that I will perform in it. After that, he will let you go. I will bring this people into such favor with the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman shall ask her neighbor and any woman living in the neighbor's house for jewelry of silver and of gold and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Okay, let's work through this kind of backwards. Oh, the silver and gold jewelry got your attention, didn't it? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yes, the Bible speaks to you today. (laughs) What's that about? Now, later on, we're told that that's exactly what happened. God is promising to Moses that as the Hebrew people go, they will be blessed. They'll even be blessed by their former captors, right? They'll be blessed by their former captors. Now, there's lots of reasons that that the Egyptians might give some stuff to the Israelites as they go. Maybe it's because they've realized they're wrong and they're trying to make restitution. Maybe it's because they can't wait for them to get out of Dodge because they're tired of all the plagues and all the problem. We don't know what their, the Egyptian motivation is. All we know is that this is going to give the Israelites something with which they can go. Okay. Now, working back a little bit further through the story, again, backwards. God says, you're going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And what we want is a three-day vacation so we can go into the wilderness to worship, okay? That's not the same thing as let my people go and keep on going. It's almost like God enters into a little negotiation with the Pharaoh here. Well, let's see if we can get these concessions, right? Instead of a 40% raise for the United Auto Workers and a four-day work week versus a five-day work week, let's ask for something else, okay? So there's some real-life politics going on here. As we go through the story of the negotiation between Moses and Pharaoh, it's a fascinating conversation. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Uh, but here we see God revealing to moses a little bit more of of how this thing is going to play out right it's going to take some time it's going to take take some wrangling okay now let's go back even further to what really is the most important part of this whole story and that's the name of god okay notice when god calls to moses and says moses I have this job for you. Moses says, who am I to do this? But then there's another question, isn't there? Who are you, God? Who are you? God has already identified himself and will continue to identify himself in several ways to Moses. The primary way is that God says, I am the God of your forefathers, of your family before you. I'm the same God who was talking to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all the way down the line. Now, we would say if God is talking, it's just God. There's only one God. But remember, there's lots of gods in Moses' day. <laughs> that was the belief. So God has to identify himself. There's more to it than that, though. God is saying, I'm the same one who has always been with this family. The fact that, you're, that you exist is because of me, right? Have you ever wondered why you exist? Well, you exist because your mother and father made you exist and their mothers and fathers made them exist. And you go all the way back. The same one who is with all of them is with all of y'all. That's part of the importance of God saying to Moses, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then Moses wants to know God's name. What's in a name? We've heard that before, right? Lots of times people are given names today just because people like the sound of the name, right? But why do we name things? In most of human history, names mean something, right? How many of you have a name that was given for a reason other than your parents liked the name, right? Are you named after your grandmother, or your dad's favorite horse, or or you know you're you're named after something or for a reason, right? We we've all been in all the you know all those gift shops everywhere at all the tourist places that you know tell you you can buy the little license plate or the cute little key ring that you know tells you the meaning of your name. Have you ever noticed how those name meanings are always positive? Here's the meaning of the name Jack, right? Lazy, low-down, good-for-nothing slob. Names don't mean, right? I, I don't know why it is. So what is God's name? Let's go back to the Genesis story. God creates everything, and then God creates Adam. Adam. And everything that God has created, all the creatures come before Adam, and Adam gives them their name, doesn't he? Right? Who has the authority? Who has the right to give you your name? In most human culture, for most of time, it is the parents, through whose work the child exists, who have the right to give a name. I've seen situations where people change their names because they didn't like what mom and dad did or they want to do something different with life, or whatever, right? But usually it's the authority of the prior generation. Adam has the authority over the creatures to give names. Who gets to name God? God. God gets to name God. And then God gives the name. The name. It is a fascinating thing. Most commentators will say that this is one of the very most, if not the most difficult scripture to interpret, right? God says, I am who I am. You can interpret the word, and we'll talk about the word in a minute, many different ways. I will be what I will be. I will be who I will be. I will cause to be what I will cause to be. I will be who I am, and I am who I will be. I will be God for you. It's like God says, I be I am. There is no name for that. You can't put them in a box. You can't put them in a box. You can't put in a box. The word itself, when the ancient Hebrew people and modern Hebrew people, when they come to the word, they say the word Adonai. That is not the word. It's not even, it's nowhere close to the word that's written in scripture. They substitute the word Lord. That's what Adonai means, is Lord. The Greek translation is kurios. Our translation is Lord, the master of everything. But the actual word is spelled without vowels, and we don't know what the vowels actually would be. The ancient Hebrew people refused to give vowels to the word. You cannot pronounce something without vowels, okay? Because the name of God is not meant to be pronounced. But it's our understanding that the word itself would be pronounced as if it were breath. Yahweh. Yahweh. That's the way you'd say the word. Why is it pronounced in that breathy sort of way? Yahweh. Because who is God? God is spirit who gives the breath of life. God is life itself. By extension, God is existence itself. God's name talks about existence. I am who I am. I have been who I have been. I will be who I will be. The New Testament will coin the phrase, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The one who always has been. The one who always will be. The one without whom nothing else is. All of that's comprehended in the name of God and even more. Because we're talking about that which stands outside of existence. What I just said, you cannot understand. Neither can I. (laughs) How can there be something outside of existence? But that's who God is. Right? God says that to Moses. Uh, Wouldn't you love to hear when Moses goes down the mountain and goes home and talks to the elders and says, I just met with existence. This is his name. Fascinating. And it should take us all to a place, and this is where I'll leave us, it should take us all to a place where we are simply left in awe and mystery and worship of God so far beyond us In a sense, in revealing, I think in revealing his name, what Moses could understand of it, what we could understand of it, in revealing his name to Moses, God was giving Moses the best assurance and insurance that he could give him for the task at hand. Moses was about to undertake the impossible. Literally, the impossible. But he had the one who created everything giving him that job. What have you heard before? All things are possible with God. And that's what Moses is setting out to do. Isn't that fascinating? Let's take 90 seconds for a question or two or a comment or two. Yes, Moses was born of the priestly tribe. Yeah, they're the ones who are supposed to keep that truth alive and teach it over and over and over again. Generation after generation after generation. Yeah. You got a lot to think about, don't you? There are five incredibly piercing, revealing, life changing questions at the end of your lesson. So go talk about them. (laughs) Let's pray. Thank you for life, Lord. Thank you for truth. Thank you for those who answer the call. Thank you for your call upon us. Thank you for your insistence upon righteousness and justice in your world. Thank you for loving us. Be with us as we keep talking. In Jesus' name, amen.